Hello, I'm David Hughes and this is Rogue Commentary, the podcast that brings you brand new audio commentaries for interesting movies by the people who made them. On this episode, I'm delighted to bring you the exclusive audio commentary for the whip-smart horror comedy Werewolves Within by screenwriter Mishnah Wolf. Regular listeners will know that the Rogue Commentary podcast can usually be enjoyed by itself, but this one's a little sparse in parts, so for best results, cue it up to the film. After you've seen it, obviously. Different territories have different logos at the front, so for best results, cue it up to the part at the very beginning where the quote comes up, and then adjust accordingly. Frame rates differ from format to format as well, so it might slip out of sync here and there, and you might need to skip back or forward now and then just to keep it in sync. But none of that should spoil your enjoyment of the very funny and surprisingly sweet Werewolves Within and Mishnah Wolf's excellent commentary. Ready to play? Three, two, one, play. Here we go, Werewolves Within. So this... uh little device at the beginning of the movie. The quote, uh, the misdirect quote, was uh, originally an Iron Maiden quote, uh, but Josh, the director of the movie, felt that Mr. Rogers sort of tied the themes in the movie a little better. And you'll see, it's a much better quote for the movie. These drone shots at the beginning kind of set the tone really well. In the original script, there was a lot of talk about the environment because it was so important that you got that creepy woods feel right off the bat. And the inn uh, is such a character. It was always a big character in the script. There were a lot of pictures and decks on what the inn might be like. And it was one of the most important locations to find. And I think Josh Rubin, the director, did such a great job finding this place. It's so perfect. That hello is priceless. So if you know anything about wolves, you know that they like to sever the leg muscles uh, to immobilize their prey. And Sam Richardson is 
perfect for the role of Finn Wheeler. Balls, balls, balls. I think we know what Finn's struggling with. His face in this scene is so priceless. Um, it was really important for me right off the bat to establish Finn as a sympathetic character that we cared about. And uh, that phone message was something that was written and rewritten over and over and over again that he just left on Charlotte's machine. The cuckoo. That's actually straight from the script. It comes back into play later in the movie. Just a cutesy little door, door chime. Sort of sets the stage for that kind of an in. I actually had to look up how pipelines are made for this scene. <laughs> This character, Sam Parker, is loosely based on an American guy uh, named Rex Tillerson, oil tycoon. And that's Parker's credo right there. Janine originally had a cat. I don't know what happened to the cat, but I'm assuming the end did not want a cat.
but she is a cat lady. I love how their chemistry worked out in this meat cute. I originally had Janine living outside the, I mean, sorry, Dr. Ellis living outside of the inn and it was just easier to give her a room at the end. So it made more sense. Milana Vintrup, she plays this meat cute so cute. And then laying out the characters in these next few scenes was something we toyed with a lot of different ways. And finally, I decided that just Cecily giving him the lay of the land was the best version. Snowshoes always factored big in this movie. Um, I think we were expecting more snow. But the amount of snow worked out, ultimately. I love this character. By her algebra. So Cecily just introducing Finn to everyone seemed like uh, ultimately the most efficient way to establish the town. And then also Finn is this very likable guy. 
the soap bottle angels were already in the pitch from the very beginning. It's something that old ladies used to sell at crafts fairs when I was growing up. It's just a way to recycle old dish soap bottles. And Pete was always, you know, the town handsy guy. Never the left is a uh, reference to left and right wing. Lock her up, lock her up. <clears throat> Antifa, these are like little references to some of the ideological issues going on in the town. And a little colorful black backstory for the town, some of the simmering resentments going on in Beaverfield. So we established some of the Fun resentments and old beefs. The boys being a re reference to um, Devin and Joaquin. The other thing about this walk through town is it, it was an opportunity for Finn and Cecily to get to know each other a little better, maybe become attracted to each other. Neighborly, another Mr. Rogers reference, so that's threaded through the movie. And this establishes Finn's original sin. Every horror movie has an original sin. His is being too caught up in his acts to really notice what's going on around him. As you can see, he's oblivious. It's a lot of skulls, a lot of skulls on that building. The cabin was always supposed to be an unnaturally primitive cabin for that town and period. I think it was a hard location to nail down, but someone who was living in a trapper shack and didn't necessarily need to, but chose to. I was watching a lot of survivalist shows at the time.
And this scene always had a lot of tension built into it. It was supposed to uh, you know, remind us that he's in the woods. And the word werewolf is in the title of the movie. So anytime Finn's outside, So this was a lot about establishing Emerson Flint as a small government guy. As well as a survivalist. Active measures. He acts then. This was actually a suggestion by one of the executives at Ubisoft that have an axe throwing bar. They're kind of a popular hipsterish, old timey thing right now, and incorporating that sort of symbolized a lot of the gentrification that goes on in these small towns when sort of hip city people come out for the nature and want to throw axes. I can't believe they got this song. It was actually written into the script. Come on, who doesn't love Ace of Base? So that was a fun scene to write. It's really fun to write 
these sort of meet cutes and getting to know you scenes, but a lot of the things in it come back later and thread through the whole movie. So it was hard to pare it down actually to that short. This entire axe throwing bar was recreated. It, it was not an existing bar. I believe it was just an empty warehouse. And our set decorators had to put the whole thing together to make an axe bar. I also had to research axe throwing, which was something I knew nothing about. A lot of YouTube videos. walls and So it was really important to me that they bonded over the outdoors in this scene. For many reasons that become apparent at the end of the movie. And he blows it. It was also fun to write a guy really blowing it because he can't say no to his ex. So this is a little fun fact about AAA. It's the, uh, it's the roadside assistance in America and uh, you can have the number of triple your triple a number but they will not assist you unless you have the actual triple a card and uh i think a lot of women call their boyfriends or even their ex-boyfriends if they have a flat tire so the important thing in that scene was that finn blows it for nothing he she doesn't want to get back together you know and he's just blown it again for, and for what? Trish, of course, secret smoker. Her love for Chachi is unrivaled by anyone's love ever in the history of love for any other living thing. A little crafting on the dog door. This was a really fun scene to write. And this one's really kind of true to how I wrote it. 
and the tension in it as Trish realizes her dog's dead and tries to find out what killed it. The power's out, cell's down. I love this shot too, the way it's shot sort of from, from below. I love that line about the possum. So it was very important to me in this scene that everyone has what's important to them but not an MIT guy. Hansy Pete Anderton. I did not write Storm Fucked. That was either an ad lib or something Josh came up with. I wish I had. And that's an avalanche across the road. In the original script, he drives out to where the road is blocked, but we didn't actually have the money for a whole avalanche. But I think this is more efficient anyways. He gets right to turning on the generators and trying to log the deaths, the, the attack. And finds. that there are no more generators. And I played with him, you know, pouring gas into the generators and then finding the leak later. Different versions of it, it became easier to just make a visual thing that he could see the generators have very clearly been sabotaged. 
very effective. And when I was writing this scene, it was important that it, it hit everyone that the situation was worse than initially expected. And then worse. And then way, way, way worse. always love this shot in the script and uh, Josh managed to get it in a one tight shot with everyone in it and it's great because you get to see everyone's reactions differently I, I see different reactions every time I watch it it's really fun Joaquin's face Pete's face Finn's face And I wrote Dr. Ellis as kind of a sober person. Maybe someone who had stopped drinking. But the body on the porch scene was always something I, I, I loved what I got to it in the script and it was something I felt was important. And I'm so glad it made it to the final product. Sarah Burns, the actress who plays Gwen is so funny in this. We already have a sense of the sort of division in the town and and this also establishes Finn as law enforcement in the town and sort of being in charge. He also important that Finn has blown it at this point and he's trying to sort of claw his way back with Cecily. And Cecily's here to upend the sort of fantasy of the cool girl in movies. So it was important to use the actual word cool. 
Milana's delivery is, is better than anything I imagined in my head for this scene. And Finn here, truly struggling with his identity as a man. And when it comes to women, He doesn't know why he can't stand up to his ex, Charlotte. This is sort of establishing who's going to benefit from this pipeline and who's obstructing it. And it sort of follows down ideological lines. sort of brings up some of these small towns where people move from the cities and have more money and try and block environmental things that you know people townies might profit from Dr. Ellis is one of those animal lovers that's not too keen on people. A little antisocial. And Janine feels needy at that moment. She really wants reassurance. Alice ain't the one. And Setak put in these nice sort of John Carpenter, the thing, 1980s-ish machinery, just to sort of remind us what kind of movie we're in. This is a creature feature. The generator was important to Emerson because in, in earlier versions, you got to see that he's running a whole e-commerce e uh, taxidermy and bearskin store.
and it was Josh Rubin, the director's idea to thread the Mr. Rogers trope through the movie. And I, I think it really works in expressing the themes. You know, Finn is someone who's a connector. He believes in community and neighborhood, and he wants people to come together and act like a community. And of course, this town does not want to do that. In some ways, Beaverfield is a torture device for Finn Wheeler, as you'll see. Someone who's really nice and wants everyone to connect and come together. Little Donald Rumsfeld quote there. George William Basil playing Marcus. Wonderfully funny guy. These are all references to the show of Mr. Rogers. Chachi is a reference to the 80s actor, Scott Bayo. Someone very opinionated on social media. Glenn, such a wonderful actor. You might recognize him from a bunch of things. It was very important that Cecily was sure Emerson was the killer at this point, and Finn was, even though there was this evidence, not willing to pass judgment yet. Chachi just got his wings when the bell rings as a reference to It's a Wonderful Life. Catherine Curtin, she's a great actress. Those are real tears. 
Dr. Ellis. Again, not really comfortable with her emotions. And I like how tone deaf Dr. Ellis really is. She's just obsessed with finding out what this animal is. And this wood carving was something that I found online early on and it, it made it into sort of the pictures I showed Ubisoft when I was pitching the movie to them. I'm so happy it made it onto the wall of the Beaver Filled Inn. Same. So Janine is really being put upon at this point. She's kind of a victim. She's got all this grief and she's still hosting all these people and cleaning up after them, feeding them. And this was a scene that made it into the script early on, the, the guns. It sort of... It also explains the ideology of the town in a really visual way. And I, I thought, I thought it was fun. Michael Chernis playing Pete Anderton. And that the check-ins with Dr. Ellis were always in the script too. They wanted info and and also they wanted to loop Dr. Ellis in and keep her safe. But it's a way to keep sort of checking in with a scientist because she's actually ahead of them. She knows more than they do at this point. And we, the audience, know more than they do because we see Dr. Ellis. So it's a way for the audience, too, to be out in front of the characters. I mean, we also know the word werewolf is in the title of the movies, so that's we're way, way ahead of everyone. But... I love all these inserts of locking up. Securing the house was really important um, in the movie. I mean, when I wrote the script and in the script, because it, it lets you know that the threat is inside. I like that they both snore, so they both sleep with cotton in their ears. 
Creaky door. And this was a fun scene to write. Bringing the lantern over for him to see his hand. Someone looking for his hand. Them initially thinking it was a shooting attack, but then realizing it was an animal attack. And Alice is now way out in front of them as far as what she knows about this predator. So you have different characters at different levels of knowledge about this situation. Dr. Ellis obviously is not okay. And this was a great way to sort of visually show the jeopardy that they're in through Dr. Ellis. Um, who's holed up in the room because at this point she knows the threat is in the inn. Marcus eyeing the oxycodone that they gave Pete for his hand. And whatever wagon Dr. Ellis was on when she got there, she is off that wagon. And Dr. Ellis is starting to really lose it at this point. The fact that she knows that this predator 
eats its victims alive. It's particularly troubling to her. And if you look closely in a theater, you can see there's a tear running down Dr. Ellis's cheek. And at this point, she's trying to catch them up. Mark is saying, what did her eyeball say? Very faint, but it's good. Very serious to her. And no one can say the word lycanthrope. Dumbass island. That was an ad lib. I did not write dumbass island. I'm not that brilliant. Um, Sarah Burns and George William Basil, who play Gwen and, and Marcus, are great improvisers. And they know stuff has gone really wrong in that room now. And of course, it's ambiguous because maybe she killed herself or maybe Sam Parker killed her. but everything just ratcheted up a notch. And these are Dr. Ellis's notes, obviously. You hear Trish say, well, it's not one of those things, meaning evolution, because she doesn't believe in evolution. And it was really important to me that we enjoy the fact that nobody's going to believe in werewolves. but it's never full. Harvey is so wonderful in this role. Joaquin. This is a true story. Parents did kill their seventh born children so they didn't turn into werewolves. 
And the president of Argentina has started adopting the seventh born children so that they don't turn into werewolves. That's adopted, it's loosely. He's like a godparent or she. There have been female presidents that also adopt seventh borns. And it keeps them from turning into werewolves. This is really fun to write. I always wanted to ratchet it up to the point where they wound up in a Mexican standoff. Love the word hand in here too. The word play with hand. For me, I, I mean, I wrote the movie I wanted to watch, so. But the Mexican standoff created the impetus to lock the guns away and it, it's a more enjoyable movie if nobody has guns. And also just things ratcheting up that fast to a point where they're all pulling guns on each other. Just shows the amount of animosity already in this town. It's a great insert when they put all the guns away, lock them in the closet, throw away the key. Just like a little bit of what they do in the movie Clue, which I love so much. It's a real Agatha Christie reference, the inserts. And in this scene, Finn is so uncomfortable with the conflict. He's already uncomfortable, but the level of the conflict really makes him uncomfortable. And here, Pete Anderton stating the theme of the movie. And Finn keeps trying to de-escalate and then things re-escalate.
And the reality is there are reasons why any one of them could be the werewolf. Her sorrow in this scene is so great. So poor Janine was left because she quote unquote let herself go. And then on top of that, found her dead husband under the house, or maybe she ate him. And there's steamrolling Finn Wheeler, who wants to de-escalate. This is torture for Finn Wheeler. He's a nice guy. He hates conflict. And all this fighting is really testing his nice guyness. And that was Royal Crown Derby. So Finn is standing in the middle of all these ideological disagreements and he's able to see all sides of things. And he's a positive guy. And this speech was one of the first things that I wrote when I wrote the movie. That helped define the character of Finn Wheeler. Who is the person who has to walk into this all this ideological conflict and all this conflict over money in the pipeline. It would have to be a guy who wants to be a connector, wants to bring people together, and wants people to remember the things that make us human and connect us to one another.
And Finn's so disappointed because he knows there actually is safety in numbers. And, and he's also lost control of the situation. As law enforcement, as the person who's in charge in a situation like this, they've lost faith in him. But at this point in the movie, he has managed to win back Cecily by taking charge of the situation. Even though he lost control of the situation and everything, Cecily does believe in him. And here's where we learn that Sam Parker came here to, to hunt more than just deer. And Sam Parker was really slightly based on Ash from the movie Alien, who we think is on the ship for a certain mission. It's really there for something completely different. The nice aerial shot of the inn. Cecily screams. We follow Finn upstairs and there's a rattling coming from Sam's room. And they do hear something in Parker's room. He lights the room up with his lantern. It's a knocked over vase. Initially, it was a shutter, but the inn we wound up getting did not have shutters. So they had to improvise. And what she heard was the wind knocking the boss over. Or a vase, boss or vase. I'm good either way. This is the moment suspicion falls on Finn. And we see that he's been in all the places where wolf killings were. And Cecily might be in real danger.
Cecily plays this so perfect. She's afraid, but sort of denying her instincts. And the map is to show that, you know, this is not a pipeline map. This is a cluster in a circle. Parker's looking for werewolves. And that's the cuckoo of the door chime. I had never seen anyone killed with a syrup tap before, so I had to go for it. It's Vermont. Sam Parker, of course, in his werewolf hunting gear. He's got silver bolts and his crossbow. Kind of a Van Helsing character. It's a very menacing figure. As Sam says in the beginning of the film, he says, why is Sam Parker dressed like a scary cowboy? Parker says a man who doesn't want to conquer nature doesn't understand how brutal it is. The picture of Chachi is priceless. 
I kind of wrote Marcus as someone who could at any given time be totally high out of his mind. And there was a moment that we talked about a lot in development, which is the moment where Cecily and Finn and Joaquin, who's still alive, realized that the town has gone batshit crazy out of their minds. And it makes no sense that she's asking them to wipe their feet because she, she's coming from outside. Michaela Watkins playing Trish and she's just a spectacular improviser who I've enjoyed for so many years. So lucky to have her in the movie. Great actress. Great comedian. But in her haste to take care of her vendettas and get rid of people in the way of her pipeline, she left Pete. Trish is not okay. This was a point in the movie I wanted where um, at this point people are so inured to death that they don't even, they're just stepping over bodies. scream in Argentina
And this is really hard for Joaquin because he does like Cecily. Poor Joaquin. Silver bolt right to the stomach. And Sam Parker's not in any hurry here. He's got them all cornered. Just reloading. Cecily doesn't know what to believe here. And then there's this underlying theme of masculinity for Finn. And this is the point where Finn attacks someone. And we see Cecily in trouble. Joaquin has Trisha's purse gun. It seems to be over. And it was really, really important to me. For me, the whole ending of the movie rested on whether or not you truly believe that these two young people in love had come through this ordeal together and, and it was truly over. She takes him to the ax stand. but it seems like they've totally survived this awful ordeal. But it's okay because they really like each other.
and Finn seems to have shrugged off this thing that's been dogging him, which is standing up to people. But he's got to pee. Blocking the door. The fuel injector for the snowplow. And now we, the audience, know. Or we're starting to gather that this ordeal is not over for Finn Wheeler. He's still not believing it yet though, until he sees. Dave's mail carrier ID. And now he knows, even though he's still not willing to believe it. That he's out of the frying pan and into the fire. I happen to love dual dialogue and having them both say that at the same time. And now all the scenes of her being so cute earlier in the movie and her cutesy dialogue starts to make sense um, because she's a MacGuffin. She's there to upend this sort of myth of the manic pixie dream girl This fantasy cool girl who's there just to service the arc of the main character, Finn.
Hansy Pete. Poor Hansy Pete. So Cecily's really a lazy werewolf. Stalking and killing was a lot of work. This is easier. And this is where you really get into the game of the movie, um, in the game Werewolves Within. A werewolf wins if the other people kill each other. And this is Finn's arc. Full circle for him is realizing that there's nothing wrong with him. He never needed to change anything. He did. He was willing to stand up to people to protect her. And get aggressive, but... It's okay to be nice. And I felt like this is the whole theme of the movie. Finn's right. This scene was originally uh, written to be outside and it just, for a lot of reasons, it was gonna be impossible to do this in the woods. But the shovel was always in the script. And it was important that this, these two men could come together ideologically to conquer this common enemy that's tearing the town apart. More taxidermy for Finn. There seems to be a wolf on a wall everywhere. Now he actually really does have to man up in that heteronormative way. 
in order to save himself and Emerson Flint. Balls. And b the balls thing was actually something that the director, Josh Rubin, added to the script. I think it works really well. It pays off in the end. Snowshoe. There it is, the snowshoe moment. What was something that Sam Richardson, who plays Finn, improved, and it's so perfect? Because it's mind-blowing what he's just been through. He fell in love with a girl, and she turned out to be a werewolf, and he killed her with a snowshoe. That's a what? No, he's limping over. See if Emerson's okay. And they're messed up, but they're alive. I thought it was good for Emerson to be touched by Finn and really Finn have someone he got through to with his speeches. <laughs> and uh, like all creatures, this one's hard to kill too. And then one of those Terminator-esque kills where she's incredibly resilient. And this song uh, was a great choice by the music director. So thank you for hanging out with me while we listen to Werewolves Within, or I watch Werewolves, we watch Werewolves Within, sorry. Um, I had a lot of fun writing it, and I hope you had fun watching it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to Rogue Commentary, a synchronicity production produced and mixed by Sam Ibrahim with music by Oli Oha. We'll be back with another exclusive audio commentary soon, so please subscribe, rate us, and most importantly, tell your fellow film fans that Rogue Commentary is a thing. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube for news about upcoming episodes, and if you have any suggestions for future contributors, email us at david at rogue-commentary.com. Bye.